But I have a uh, I have an important uh, breaking news uh, tweet here from the House of Representatives Oversight Committee, James Comer's committee, because Democrat Congressman, the ranking Democrat on the Oversight Committee, came out yesterday, a day before yesterday, and lied and he lied and he lied. He lied about Russian collusion. He lied about uh, he lies about everything. He's a liar. He's a Democrat from Maryland in the House of Representatives. The House Oversight Committee, see, he said, oh, no, this, all this document, this is old news. That was looked into by William Barr when he was the, the, the uh, attorney general. And uh, the U.S. attorney in Pennsylvania looked into this and dropped it. And uh, he was lying. And uh, that's not what the FBI said in the briefing. They told him four times that that's not the case. Then he went and found TV cameras and lied to the American people because he's a liar. Did I mention that he's a liar and he lies a lot? Because, because he is and he does. And then Congressman Comer came out and actually called him a liar yesterday, which is surprisingly unusual on Capitol Hill given uh, the number of times people lie. It should probably be a, used a lot more. And uh, now the Oversight Committee has uh, tweeted out, Breaking news, former U.S. Attorney General William Barr confirms the Biden bribery record is not closed, as Congressman Raskin lied. In fact, it was sent to U.S. Attorney in Delaware for further investigation where there is a grand jury that has been impaneled. The FBI is engaging in a cover-up and Democrats are lying, the Oversight Committee says. Good for them. I'm very happy that, uh, that they put that... That tweet out and went on the record calling them liars because they're lying. Bring me a small liar. Small liar. Small liar. I didn't do it. I didn't do it. I wasn't even there. I was at a friend's house. The check is in the mail. Not uh, that kind of liar. See, bring me, uh, <laughs> bring me Congressman Jamie Raskin. The uh, <clears throat> they lie. They lie all the time. All right, in this hour, mailbag. Doing the mailbag because it's Wednesday, and on Wednesday we do mailbag. You know what Bill Clinton does on Wednesday. The Energizer comes over. The Secret Service stands down for a while. You know what I mean? All right, so let me go to, uh, let me go to the mailbag. And also in this hour, the recording of uh, my father um, being interviewed aboard his aircraft carrier. And one of the questions even goes to that as, uh, as a matter of fact. So um, question number one from Ken Garten. Garten. Uh, Ken Garten says, Are you as happy as I am that Tucker is back? Too bad Newsmax didn't make a deal with him. That's from Ken Garten. And uh, yes, of course, I'm uh, very, and you know, yesterday's video, it was amazing. We were trading back and forth comments on the Tucker Carlson video posted yesterday. And yesterday afternoon, we were going back and forth, and I think it was at 32 million views. Is that right? 32 million views. And now we just checked it a couple of minutes ago. Tucker Carlson, he's posting videos on the Twitter because the left-wing radicals aren't in charge anymore. Jack Dorsey, the Rasputin of social media with his funky Russian Revolution beard and, and all of that, the Bolshevik Revolution. And uh, he's now, he's backing Robert F. Kennedy Jr. for president because, well, never mind. But, um, yeah, I'm thrilled that Tucker is back, and Tucker can write his own ticket and do whatever he wants. 71 million views on the video that he posted yesterday, which was great. You've probably seen it if you're listening to this humble radio broadcast. And um, also, we're posting this. We're live on Instagram right now. 
from the radio studio. And uh, Ken, Ken Tober is, uh, Kevin Tober is, uh, I'm reading Ken here in front of me. Uh, Kevin Tober is uh, uh, feeding it out live on Instagram. So uh, hello on Instagram from our, uh, our modest radio studio. So uh, are you as happy as I am? Tucker is back and too bad Newsmax didn't make a deal with him. Well, let me tell you something. I know that Newsmax uh, would um, uh, love a uh, conversation with Tucker. But here's the thing. Here's the thing, Ken, is that um, Tucker is locked in to his Fox News contract. They're still paying him through, I guess, uh, early next year. And uh, so he is not free. He's not at liberty to go off with other media organizations. His contract restricts him from doing a certain number of things, like going to Newsmax, which he should really do. And um, he is free. The contract his lawyers have determined do not restrict him, do not prevent him from going on Twitter and doing what he's doing on Twitter, getting 71 million views in, uh, in less than a day. A pretty good start. But uh, Tucker will write his own ticket if he would like to be that at Newsmax, and I would like it, uh, him to go to Newsmax as well. I think that'd be great. Uh, Alan says, please share a little about your experience with Rush Limbaugh or about hosting his program, some of the backstory. Well, I did host the Rush Limbaugh guest host, the Rush Limbaugh program once, one time and one time only. Uh, I was invited uh, because Rush was going to be away. He was on vacation. I was doing my show in Washington, D.C. I'm not even sure if I was syndicated then. Um, I don't think that I was. No, no, I, I know I wasn't. Uh, I know I wasn't. I was not. I was doing the show out of WML in Washington, where I am now. It's the mothership uh, to this day in Washington, D.C., WMAL. And if you're looking for a radio station to stream all day, millions of people choose WMAL. Um, and I was contacted through uh, Cumulus. And said, hey, how'd you like to uh, uh, sub, you know, substitute for Rush Limbaugh? He's going to be off and like to have you go up to New York and, and do the uh, Rush Limbaugh show one day and one day only. And I said, sure, I think that'd be wonderful. And I started speaking to Mr. Bo Snerdley, uh, real name James Golden, uh, who was Rush Limbaugh's producer forever and ever. And a, an amazing guy, a great guy, a New Yorker. He's there in New York. And, and I took the train up to New York, as you might, checked into a hotel the uh, night before and uh, the next morning, uh, James Golden, Mr. Bosnerdly, came and met me at the hotel. And uh, we walked over, actually stopped at a Starbucks so he could get some stuff. I think it's the one time I ever bought anything at a Starbucks. And it's because Bosnerdly wanted to go to a Starbucks. I don't drink coffee, for one thing. You bought coffee for Katie Finnegan. I bought Katie for, uh, uh, coffee for Katie Finnegan, but it was the only time I bought anything for myself. Oh, okay. It was a scone or something like that. Uh, and then uh, went and did the show. And I got to tell you, I kind of riffed. And uh, James Golden is like, where are your notes? Where's your this? Where? And I'm like, you know, I'm good. I got a, you know, I got a newspaper. I got my iPad here. And I'm going to, I go in and he's like, well, what do you, what do you do? And I said, well, I, I riff a lot. You know, I'm, are you prepared? I said, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm always prepared. <laughs> and uh, went in and did the, uh, the three hour show. Now, uh, it was, uh, it was, of course, a great day and a great honor. And I probably wasn't at a hundred percent, I would, I would uh, say. Uh, and uh, became friends of James Golden. Saw him fairly recently at the Media Research Center dinner here in Washington, D.C. at the National Building Museum. A great guy. It was a wonderful experience, and it was the greatest honor, of course, obviously. You know, it's like if you're a talk show host and host in, you know, someplace else, you're invited to uh, uh, co you know, do Johnny Carson's show. Um, he is, you know, uh, Rush Limbaugh. 
the legend. I got to do it once, and honestly, that's enough. I think that's really great. It's like landing on the moon once. How many times do you need to do it? It was uh, great fun and a great honor. And I met Rush Limbaugh a couple of times, uh, maybe three times. And uh, very nice conversations, very nice, very generous, very decent man, wonderful. His organization, wonderful. James Golden, Mr. Bosnerdly, just couldn't be better. Um, and it was, uh, you know, it was, uh, that was a day to remember. That's for sure. That's for sure. It's like, you know, got the day I got to fly the F-16 uh, hosting the Rush Limbaugh show. Pretty good. Now, uh, tough criminal, uh, excuse, excuse me, thought criminal, thought criminal. He's got thought crimes going on. Uh, thought criminal says, would you be so kind as to re- relate your Gulf War embedded journalist experience? Now, here's the, uh, here's the reality. 1991, I was sent, um, uh, I, I arrived in Dharan, Saudi Arabia on October 1st uh, after Saddam Hussein invaded Kuwait. And CNN, I was with CNN at the time was in charge of what they call the U.S. network pool operation. That means in Dairan, CNN flew in the satellite. You may remember the buildings with the blue domes behind where all the reporters were in Dairan uh, before the balloon went up uh, in January of 1991. And I ran from the Dairan International Hotel, the U.S. network pool operation, um, you know, uh, sort of making sure that it was ABC, NBC, CBS, Fox News, and CNN at that time, going live from Dairan, Saudi Arabia, and I was in charge of the, uh, the, the television operation in Dairan, where all the networks were, and uh, the eastern province of Saudi Arabia. Now, the assignment was a 90-day assignment, and I started October 1st, and then on, uh, on January 1st, it rotated to another network, which is how pool operations work. There were four. It was ABC, NBC, CBS, and CNN were the four uh, organizations in the pool at the time. I don't think Fox was in the pool rotation at the time. And I believe on January 1st, it rotated to ABC, and they took over the pool operation. And as a result, I rotated out of Dairan, Saudi Arabia, on New Year's Eve of 1990 and got on a nonstop plane to Amsterdam, <laughs> uh, where I spent New Year's Eve with a uh, great Marine uh, that was there in Tehran, and Tehran. He was uh, there teaching, uh, uh, training up the Marines on hand-to-hand combat, and he was rotated out the same day. And we went to to uh, Amsterdam, and uh, you know, uh, trolled around in bars for New Year's Eve in Amsterdam. It was a great time. I actually love spending time in Saudi Arabia. It was a lot of fun. Three months, and uh, and it was before the war started. I was back in at the Pentagon uh, by the time the the war started in January of 91. But I spent three months in, and there was always, oh no, they're going to, everybody had chemical warfare suits and, and uh, waiting for Saddam to start firing missiles at us and stuff, which uh, never happened. It would have been fun if it had the Scud missiles and, and things, but it uh, didn't happen. So I didn't actually embed for the war. I was only there for Operation Desert Shield, Desert Shield, but I had a great time. Every Friday, we'd go down to Dammam, the judicial center for the Eastern Province, on Friday, because Friday you could, we'd go to Chop Chop Square and we get some shawarmas and wait for them to bring out criminals and cut their hands off and cut their heads off. But when they saw that there were a bunch of gringos out there, they wouldn't bring them out and chop their heads off and chop their hands off. It's kind of a disappointment, you know, got to say. Uh, P.T. Gramble, P.T. Gramble says, what squadron was your father assigned to during Operation Overlord? And he's got Operation Colon Overlord, and in parentheses it says, sorry about the colon. 
Operation Overlord was the name of the uh, Normandy, the D-Day invasion, right, yesterday, 79 years ago yesterday. Uh, he was with a, a squadron, a really interesting Navy squadron called VOF-1. VOF-1 was his squadron, really, because like um, uh, VO, it'd be VF-1, normally it'd be VF-1, would be uh, the squadron designation, but it was VOF-1 because the planes were outfitted with some observation, some uh, reconnaissance uh, weather equipment. So it was a one-of-a-kind one squadron called VOF-1, and I don't think there was another VOF squadron in the Navy at the time. I don't think there was a VOF-2. And I'm going to play the audio from his interview uh, coming up, but VOF-1 is the correct answer to that. Now, I've got uh, more questions to get to. Well, why did you remove Jump Into the Fire, uh, our opening music, uh, you know, Nielsen and, and other show bumper music from your podcast, from your podcast? Well, the reason for that is a licensing issue that Cumulus Radio, um, the, the you know, big company here, they pay for the licensing. It's ASCAP, right, for the use of the music on the radio shows. But it turns out when you take the radio shows and put them on podcast, it requires separate licensing and separate fees. And because it's very expensive, uh, Cumulus pays for the licensing for the radio shows and all of our excellent music. And we have the best music in the business. And a lot of people are stealing our music these days. Um, we have the best music in the business. But, uh, but we're not currently paying for the licensing for podcasting, a separate uh, fee structure and fee system. So that's why we have to remove, Michael Pierce has to remove, crop out the music when we post the podcasts. Uh, and I've got a couple more questions I want to share with you. And, the, um, and that's coming up. And the audio of my father being interviewed aboard the aircraft carrier, D-Day Plus One, that's coming up today as well. Now, its official reports say that the banking collapse of 2023 is now officially more devastating than was the banking collapse of 2008. And right now, a series of global financial dominoes are continuing to fall, and it's clearly not over yet. Don't wait for the email saying, sorry, your account has been frozen. We've all got to take action now to protect what we've worked so hard to build over the years. Time to call my friends at American Alternative Assets and get your free Wealth Protection Guide. Time to call 888, the number 4, GOLD20. Call them right now, 888-446-5360. This invaluable guide will outline the precise steps you need to take immediately to transfer your IRA or 401k into precious metals, all without tax consequence. So call American Alternative Assets at 888, the number 4, GOLD20 to claim your free gold and silver guide today. Again, call them at 888-446-5360. Individual results may vary. There's no guarantee that past performance will be indicative of future results. Seek your own legal, tax, investment, and financial advice before opening an account. Yeah, yeah. All right, so a uh, couple more questions that we have from the mailbag. And um, and then uh, the uh, audio coming up of, uh, of my father from World War II aboard his aircraft carrier, D-Day Plus One. Hey, Chris here with some exciting news. Now you can listen to me live on the WMAL app. 
Doesn't matter if you're in your car, in the office, on the go. The WMAL app delivers crystal clear, around-the-clock news coverage anywhere with cell service or Wi-Fi. So don't miss a second of your favorite shows. Download the WMAL app today on the Apple App Store or at Google Play Store. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. Uh, looking at the comments on Instagram, everybody is right. Uh, we we do need to paint the studio. It's a plain white studio. It's also a temporary studio. You may hear a hammering going on from time to time. Stop the hammering uh, because there's construction going on. We're building out a new studio in uh, that uh, WMAL building. And everybody that commented on Instagram was right about everything, including including the uh, paint the studio part. That's one of me. 1976 Pinto. There's a great name. Chris, did you ever have the opportunity to fly in the Concorde prior to its retirement? The SST, the supersonic transport. Sadly, no, I did not. I would really like to, and I'd like to pilot it across the Atlantic, too. I visited the Concorde at the Udvar-Hazy facility at Dulles Airport, the Air and Space Museum Annex. Thanks for sharing your gift of honest humor in these times of embarrassing insanity. Thank you very kindly. And GSAV-111, possibly an FB-111 pilot, I'm just guessing. Are you exhausted working on both radio and TV shows daily? Is your best girl getting annoyed? You know what? I, I, um, I'm not, my sleep, sleep cycle is a bit whacked. I got up at uh, 4.30 this morning, for example. Um, love your no, new show on Newsmax. Um, I... Um, I'm still, honestly, I'm in week five, and I'm still, I've been in a real groove for a lot of years. My, my, I can stay up late and get up early, and now that's all thrown off, so I am still working that. Is my best girl getting annoyed? I got to tell you, she deserves a trophy. I might get her a trophy. She is unbelievable. She has been so amazing during this. I mean, we make it funny. Um, I come home, and she's got a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, and uh, you know, uh, Ruffles potato chips for me, and and uh, she uh, lays out my shirt and tie and suit for me at home because I'm dressed in radio clothes now, you know. Then I got to go home and dress like an adult man and stuff. And uh, no, we've been having a riot. My best girl and I are are really having fun with the new schedule and the new the new life. Uh, you know, I'm not. I'm not the best at. Um, we're we're still breaking me in when it comes to doing the mailbag questions because, as you know, I'm very modest and humble, particularly given how amazing I am. And and <laughs> and uh, t- I don't spend a lot. Some people spend a lot of time talking about themselves. Um, you know, you know who they are. Uh, I don't. So I <laughs> so I have to, you know. 
break my arm patting myself on the back like some people. But, um, but the mailbag questions are great, and uh, Kevin picks the questions for us. And Kevin was shooting the Instagram live uh, video there from our white backdrop studio. That's not a race reference. That's just a white wall behind us. And it is a temporary studio while lots of construction goes on around us. Uh, I, I assume the wall behind us in the new studio will be white, too. because <laughs> So we got that. But, uh, but that was kind of fun. I'm learning. I'm still learning. Um, okay, now, see, one of the mailbag questions was, was an interesting question for today. What squadron from P.T. Gramble? P.T. Gramble. What squadron was your father assigned to during Operation Overlord? And uh, sorry about the colon. That's uh, that's uh, funny. You know, that's a that's a listener. And and I have today now, uh, Kevin. Did you post the uh, thing? Because we're posting. I'm going to play this recording. That was um, it's 1944. It is uh, during my father was 22 years old. He was a U.S. Navy fighter pilot. He was assigned to an aircraft carrier called the USS Tulagi. Uh, Tulagi was an island in the Pacific that uh, we had uh, stomped on the Japanese, and, and we built more than 100 aircraft carriers, so we had to come up with lots of, hey, what are we going to call this aircraft carrier? We got more than 100 of them, like, you know, USS Bob. You know, we had a lot of, uh, lot of aircraft carriers. So he, uh, and it was an escort carrier, which means it's a smaller aircraft carrier, which means it's harder to land on and take off and, you know, night and day and bobbing seas and all that. And uh, his aircraft carrier was operating in the Mediterranean. And, uh, and as a child, this record album, I in fact have two versions of this record album. And I think the pictures of the record album are, are in the, yeah, they're in the, because uh, if you go to our Twitter, our Instagram, uh, and what else, Rumble? Rumble. And, and on Rumble, uh, Kevin just posted them, reposted and it's the recording that you're about to hear with photographs, my collection of photographs, some of which I got off of the Internet. Uh, many of them are family photos of my father and so on. Uh, and, um, and we put together a sort of a, a slideshow, a visual presentation to go over to complement the, the audio recording. Now, this is my father. My father was named Jules Orteig, O-R-T-E-I-G. Jules Orteg Jr. was, in fact, his name, because as you might imagine, his father was Jules Orteg Sr. Now, his family uh, is Basque, and I am, uh, as a result, similarly situated. Basque, B-A-S-Q-U-E, it's an ethnic group that lives in the Pyrenees Mountains. Uh, the Pyrenees Mountains divide Spain and France. My father's family was from the north slope of the Pyrenees Mountains, meaning the French side of the uh, Basque territories, right? There is a, a Basque terrorist group in Spain called ETA, um, uh, E-T-A, and, um, and the Basque, the Spanish Basque are wonderful, the French Basque are wonderful. My, um, my family always said they were Basque. They didn't say they were French. They said they were Basque. And Orteg, O-R-T-E-I-G, is a Basque name. Uh, Jules is a French name. And... Um, and my family history is very, very interesting in a lot of ways on the uh, on the Orteg side. But in any, from a town called Louvis-Juzon, Louvis-Juzon, on the north slope of the Pyrenees Mountains, 
on the French side of the Basque territories. And, uh, and the, the uh, interviewer asks him, well, what is that, uh, French? And, he, and he's, I'll let him speak for himself. But the, um, the interview was D-Day plus one, 1944, aboard the aircraft carrier Tulagi, not identified in the interview uh, with my uh, father, who was just back from a bombing mission in his Hellcat airplane, a single-seat uh, fighter plane. His squadron was VOF-1. This is D-Day plus one. We're in the ready room of an American aircraft carrier cruising in the Mediterranean. The pilots who use this room have been on many missions over southern France during the past two days. And just a few minutes ago, a group of pilots returned from a fighter bombing mission. When the excitement died down a little bit, one of them came over and sat down beside me. And if you'd have been here, this is what you'd have heard. Uh, say, Lieutenant, have you got a cigarette? Yeah, but as usual, I haven't got a match. Oh, I have a match, thanks. You mind giving me a light? No, no, here. Thank you very much. Boy, you look kind of wet. <laughs> I really sweat that one out. Say, uh... You mean that's all just sweat? Doesn't look like they've been dumped in the ocean or something. No, well, I was a bit warm there for a minute. Uh, what kind of a gadget is that? Well, that's a recording machine that I have that puts voice on wire. Say, how'd you like to make a record for me to send back home? Sure, sure, but what'll I say? Well, just talk, you know. I'll, well, look, I'll tell you what. Uh, I'll ask you questions, you give me the answers, right? <laughs> uh, for example, uh, what kind of a plane were you flying on your mission today? I was flying the uh, Grumman F-6F, uh, the Hellcat. F-what? The F-6F, the Hellcat. Oh, yeah, well, I never do know what those letters mean. That's a Grumman Hellcat, and a Hellcat it is, too, from the look of it. Say, uh, how'd your mission turn out today? Uh, pretty good. We were supposed to bomb some gun installations on the coast, and we didn't have very much difficulty. Uh, four of us went out. I saw the first three bombs hit, and I don't know where mine went. But uh, I hope it came close, anyhow. It's pretty difficult to see your all, but you can see the other men's, can't you? Yeah, when you're... Well, there's a little flack there. I was kind of watching out for that. Uh, any of you uh, get hit? No, no one got hit, very luckily. Uh, was the flack very heavy? Well, it was the first flack I'd ever seen, so it looked pretty heavy to me. I know what you mean. Well, say, I beg your pardon. My name's Sutter. What's yours? Uh, my name's Jules Orteig, O-R-T-E-I-G. What is that, French? Yes, after fashion. Oh, by the way, where do you live? Um, I live in Pelham Manor. It's a suburb of New York City. Let's see, that's uh, right near New Rochelle, isn't it? Yeah, have you ever been there? Yeah, I think so. I was there once. I think I drove through it. Uh, by the way, Jules, most of the boys have told me that they haven't uh, seen any enemy planes over there. Did you see any? No, uh, we didn't see any. Huh? We were looking around, but we couldn't find any. I think they're hiding. Um, well, so you've been on uh, so you had two missions yesterday, is that right? Yes, that's right. Uh, do you suppose you'll go on another one today? Well, I hope so. Well, anyway, I hope you'll find Jerry this time. But if you don't, well, 
I'll be just as happy. I don't know how you'll feel. Well, I'd, I'd just as soon run into a few Jerry's, but uh, fighter bomber missions supplies plenty of excitement. All right, well, good hunting, Jules, and good luck. This record was made in the Mediterranean Theater of Operations. That is the, uh, that's the recording. That record album was in... Uh, now, my father died uh, when I was five months old. He was 38 years old. He died of a heart attack uh, and uh, at home one morning. And uh, it was uh, uh, reportedly, I think the VA said it was uh, related and uh, so on. But uh, 38 years old, he had uh, myself, my three older brothers uh, were born before I was because they're my older brothers. And uh, my mother at the age of 32 was widowed with uh, four boys under the age of five from five months old to five years old. And, um, and that got things going. That got things rolling. And, uh, and I'm named Plant because my mother remarried. I was uh, uh, Chris Plant, excuse me, Chris Orteg, until I was uh, five years old. And my older brothers, until they were 10 years old and nine years old and seven years old, we were all Ortegs. And my mother was uh, Barbara Orteg. And, um, and then when I was five years old, my mother remarried uh, Bill Plant. They were working together at WISN-TV in Milwaukee at the time. They were both on television at the time. And uh, they, uh, we moved back to New York, and uh, my mother remarried, married Bill Plant. And, um, and that's how I got the name Plant. Otherwise, you know, I'd, I'd still be Christopher Ortega, and I would have been syndicated much sooner, don't you think? Because <laughs> get a little get all that going. But it's a great recording. And again, Kevin posted it uh, just a short time ago on our various social media things on Rumble and on Facebook and on uh, Twitter. And uh, so you can, it's, it's a, it runs a, uh, whatever it is, three and a half minutes or something like that. And, uh, and there are uh, photographs now uh, that uh, many of them family photographs. Some of them I found on Al Gore's amazing internet. Uh, I actually found pictures there. There's an Admiral Durgan briefing a bunch of pilots in the, in the uh, ready room. And I found that on the internet, and I have uh, three. Uh, I zoomed in on it twice, and and I found that on Al Gore's amazing internet. It's an old Navy photo, and uh, my father is looking at him like he is not very happy about the discussion that they're having, but it's uh, it's uh, good stuff. I think it's fun, and and I you know I have a I have a, a, a personal stake in it, of course, but if I didn't know who the person was, I would still say, wow, that's that's pretty cool stuff, and I do think that this recording should be in the you know, the Navy Museum or uh, uh, something. Um, it should be somewhere, the World War II Museum in New Orleans or something like that because it's, uh, it's good stuff. I haven't seen a lot of it. And I still have the, they're called transcriptions. They're like record albums, but they're cardboard with a laminate. And I think I mentioned last week that you put them on your, uh, your, your record player and you put the 78 RPM, there's 78 RPM, and you put the needle in the center and it plays to the outside rather than putting the needle on the outside and it playing to the center, which, uh, which is uh, pretty wacky, pretty wacky too. So that's my D-Day plus one contribution to our World War II veterans. And, and uh, God bless them all, uh, saluting them all. 22 years old at the time he was. And, uh, oh, and by the way, he didn't go by Jules. He went by Bud and Buddy. Bud and Buddy. And uh, everybody, I, I actually met a nice woman who's a listener to this radio show, lives in Virginia, Dita Calderosa. 
Dita Calderoso was a friend of my father's. She was listening to the radio show one day years ago, and I played that recording. And she called in and said, I can't believe that was your father. He was a great friend of mine. And uh, Dita Calderoso is a great friend of mine now. And uh, we, uh, you know, uh, go out to brunch and, uh, and things, and it just uh, couldn't, be, couldn't be more fun. All right, and uh, let's see. There's, uh, there's a lot of stuff to get to, and I still have uh, so many things. Yeah, let's uh, let's do that. We're gonna we're gonna go to uh, uh, break a little early, and um, haven't decided yet. May come back to calls. I love this uh, story on the front page of the Washington Post today. D.C. woman wins lawsuit over odor of marijuana in Cleveland Park, about a mile and a half from the radio station. This guy smoking dope in his basement apartment of this. Uh, uh, the the woman lives next door. It's row houses and. This guy rents the basement apartment. He's a restaurant manager. He's got medical marijuana, and he smokes dope. You know, he comes home, he smokes dope every night, and he says, I'm just relaxing, man. And the lady said, you can't do that. You're stinking up my house with your dope. And it went to court, and the lady won. And now he can't smoke dope in his own house anymore. What kind of country is this, anyway? Now, I, uh, because I came in with so much stuff today, I'm not going to get to Chris Christie's big announcement yesterday where you see the memes going around. President Trump tweeted out a meme of Chris Christie making his announcement uh, at a buffet. At a buffet. It's, uh, making fun of the... Chris Christie, I watched the beginning of it yesterday, of the Chris Christie announcement, but it was two hours long, as it turns out. And uh, some of the stuff about... You know how we're becoming small in our debates and things. Oh, yeah, I basically agreed with that. Then he went after President Trump, probably a bad idea, uh, but he did that anyway. And, and it's, you know, he's, he's going out of his way to assail President Trump and make him the, uh, you know, the target. Uh, also, the Live PGA Golf Tour uh, coming together. That's pretty funny. They condemned the Saudi ownership and and uh, Khashoggi's killing and dismemberment and their human rights record. And, you know, now they're in bed together. Now they're, now they're doing the thing together, live and PGA golf. It's, it's a little bit funny. Um, so we got that going. And I'm not going to get to the UFO guy, the Air Force UFO guy. I've got to say, it's an interesting, he's an interesting guy. I'm not convinced. I'm just not convinced. He's not an uh, Air Force officer, former intelligence agency guy. Yeah, we have spaceships from other planets and and uh, dead bodies from inside, you know, alien bodies like uh, Independence Day, you know. Plausible deniability. Right? We have spacecraft from another species. We do, yeah. How many? Quite, Quite a number. You're Quite kidding. A no. No, I'm not kidding. I'm, uh, I'm unconvinced. I'm unconvinced. Now, he's opened a can of worms, and I think it's a fun can of worms, and it's a can of worms that should be opened. But I still don't. Uh, I'm not. I'm not there with him. So let's see. What else am I not getting to? I'm not getting. Oh, I wanted to do the in Portland. Um, there's an an Anne Frank impersonating drag queen transgender activist from Portland, Oregon, that was arrested in Virginia for murder. That just you know that's all you need to say, right? <laughs> it turns out that the uh, Anne Frank impersonating drag queen transgender activist is a Democrat. That's all we need to know. All right, let's, uh, <laughs> I did, I wanted to spend time on that story, but we got too much, 
too much stuff because too many Democrats are on the loose out there. Oh, yeah. And the Dallas Pride Festival for all ages sells sex toys, edible penises, uh, and graphic Disney art. And Disney's probably fine with it. All right. So we've got uh, that's your your Democrat Party. This is really today has been a summary of the Democrat Party. Hotels fleeing San Francisco because of the crime and it's uh, the city continues to spiral. Uh, it's on its way to hell. The zombie apocalypse dystopia. Let's go to uh, let's go to the phones. Let's go to Mike calling from Herndon, Virginia. Michael, you're on the Chris Plant show. Yes, Chris. God bless you and God bless what's left of America and civilization itself. Yep. You so betcha. I uh, called into your call screener. I've called radio stations and whatnot and so forth for probably a good 15 years or more. Uh, a lot of times uh, people don't understand what I try to explain to them, that uh, there is a uh, conspiratorial group of people that have been trained and taught and schooled and brainwashed in uh, America uh, by the Cloward Piven uh, process. Uh, it's uh, they were Cloward and Piven uh, were professors there at Harvard, Amherst, and BU in Boston, Massachusetts, and whatnot. Uh, they are the ones that have trained and schooled uh, Obama, Biden. Uh, the Clintons, any of these uh, congressmen, congresswomen, uh, people in society that went to these universities, uh, that spent time enough, uh, such as uh, that they espouse uh, to the dictates of back all the way to uh, Karl Marx. Well, let me let me let me pause you. Let me pause you there for a second, Mike, because we have audio today of a teacher at a school board meeting in California yesterday who was promoting the LGBTQ thing for kids. And part of her speech was this, Mike. The Children's Hospital Los Angeles with queer and trans youth in large groups. And so I deal with a lot of their trauma related to the heteronormative Judeo-Christian patriarchal imperialist capitalist system that oppresses them. I think, I think that's more or less what you're talking about. And the Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets Podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.